What I want to do is I want to talk to you about fear today. Have you ever been afraid of anything? You know, there are all kinds of fears out there, right? There's the fear of heights, fear of spiders, pretty common, fear of public speaking. I heard about a new fear this week, fear of giants. It's called fee-fi-phobia. Have you, have you heard of that one? Yeah. I heard the joke and I thought, I'm preaching on fear. I might as well mention it. Fear's a really big deal, and this being Father's Day and all, I, I want to talk to Dad specifically, but of course to everybody else in the room, about fear. What we're going to do is a small autopsy of fear, kind of right here. We, what we say, that's the metaphor for how we do truth around here. We're going to lay the truth on the table. We all inspect it, talk about it honestly and openly, and create a safe place to deal with some very hard subjects. This subject isn't so hard because it's difficult to understand. It's hard because the emotions surrounding it. It wouldn't take long if a friend who knew you well was chatting with you to be able to drill down on exactly what you're afraid of in a general sense, but also in the specific instances that you're going through. You're facing all kinds of things in life. We're facing relational stuff and money stuff and health stuff and spiritual stuff. All kinds of fears can crop up in the middle of the stuff of life. I have a six-question survey I want to give you a little bit about fear, and I think the, these words will be up on the screen. All right, so let me ask a couple questions here. Let's kind of get us rolling. Who are you afraid of? Is there anybody that you're afraid of? When I was in school, I was afraid of a couple guys that were bigger, a little bit uh, of a bully maybe, and, and I thought maybe I'm not actively afraid of them, but if I were to get into a fight, I would be. But as I've grown, well, I'm not so much afraid of being physically adjusted or maladjusted by somebody else. There are times that I'm afraid of certain dynamics. Who are, who are you afraid of? Number two, whose opinion means too much to you? Here's a helpful way to understand and embrace others' opinion of you, but then there's an unhealthy way to do it too. And their opinion of you and the weight it bears on you produces a fear-like emotion. Whose opinion of you do you rely too much on? Number three, is your appetite for praise unhealthy? Not just do you like compliments, but do you absolutely crave them? And if you don't get them, do you feel like something must be wrong with you? Is your appetite for praise too developed? Number four, are you committed to things and people that God is not calling you to? They're not on your to-do list from the Lord. And yet you can't seem to put a boundary between you and them. You're constantly drawn to that activity. You're constantly drawn to those people in an unhealthy way. Number five. Is there some disobedience in your faith walk because you're afraid God won't take care of you if you fully follow him? Number six. Are you overly devastated by criticism? All of us have fears. This particular set of six questions are just a few that I was able to pull together after doing just a little bit of reading about common fears that followers of Jesus struggle with. We serve a Lord who says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He says he'll always be with us. His explicit command to his followers is, don't worry, I'll take care of you. Your needs, if you follow me, will be met. And yet believers in Jesus all over the world, ever since Jesus gave those kinds of teachings, have struggled with the same emotions everybody else has. Fear, worry, the 
anxiety that comes with them. And a certain amount of that is okay. I'm not here to beat anybody up if that's where you are. It's understandable. It's almost universal. And yet we don't have to be stuck by it. For instance, on that last question that I asked you, are you overly devastated by criticism? In, in, in our world today, we have these new tools that allows criticism and communication to stick in ways it's not stuck before. For instance, one of my favorite pastors in America today, Rick Warren, he says this, that the problem with criticism today is that it's constant, global, and permanent. And then speaking to his congregation, he said these words, remember this, not everything you read on the internet is true. You watch Facebook wars, you ever seen that? You know, where like a friend, I've got a couple like relatives who I'm not going to defriend them, but I block them so they don't know that I don't get their feeds. But every once in a while, I'm a little morbidly interested, so I go click on their name because I know on a boring day, I'm going to get great stuff. <laughs> and they're related to me, so it's kind of like extra interest. And there'll be these cryptic, comment, cryptic uh, comments, and you're wondering who they're talking about, but you can tell they don't really like them because of the language they use. They're Facebook wars. They're text wars. They're all kinds of relational dynamic. Fear is a big deal, and there's a lot of things that go into the fear bucket. What people think about us, what we think about ourselves. It's interesting when you look at the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, I often go to the first few chapters of the Bible because so much of what's happening in the world around us finds its beginning right there in the first few pages of our Bible. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, there's a little snippet of a story. Maybe you've heard about the story. It's a story about when Adam and Eve blow it. They mess up. The good world goes bad. And now it's payday. Without even knowing the story, I bet you can rally around the emotions. It's that emotion you would have when you were a child and you had done something you weren't supposed to do and then you got caught. It was obvious. The impending challenges were coming. That's what's exactly happening here in Genesis chapter 3. Here's what our Bible says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. <laughs> That's that, you know, hand caught in the cookie jar moment. As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God had created them perfect with no knowledge of evil, only good. Man and woman together, perfect harmony, naked and unashamed. But now, after the sin, he's afraid. He doesn't want to have the confrontation. And from that first few words in our Bible, all the way through the rest of the Bible, there's a recurring phrase. I want to teach it to you. It's God's antidote to fear. Up here on the screens it says, God's answer to our fear is a phrase you hear over and over and over again in the Bible. Fear not, I will be with you. Fear not, I will be with you. It's the most recurring command, declarative sentence, in the Bible. It's the most repeated phrase when somebody from heaven, God or an angel, speaks to human beings. Don't be afraid. I've known fear in my life. I've been afraid sometimes. And, and there's, there's like a good fear, like, uh, you know, the street's very busy. I should be cautious. It's a little dark out here in an unknown territory. There's some strange people around. I want to be careful with my wife and kids. There's a good fear. 
then there's an unhealthy, paralyzing fear. I remember one moment when I felt extremely afraid, I think is an appropriate word, maybe anxious is a little bit better, was when I held each one of my kids right after they were born. And the weight of the, res- the, the, the sense of the weight of the responsibility that was in front of me was large, just very big. And um, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Jill is wonderful. We make beautiful babies together. And can I do this? Do I have what it takes to do this? If I don't have what it takes to do this, can I get what it's going to take to do this? It wasn't my first emotion, but some point in that evening, on that first day with each kid, I remember feeling that awesome responsibility, which is appropriate, healthy, and then it crept over into that unhealthy side. When God looks at humanity and over and over and over again says, fear not, I'll be with you, what he's saying is this, is everything may not be okay, but if I'm with you, if God's with you, you're going to be okay. Everything may not be okay, but if God's with you, you're going to be okay. So all throughout our Bible, this refrain is repeated. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, right at the end of Moses' term, getting ready to head over to a new leader, Joshua, there's a lot of change happening in the community. Here are the words given to that group of people. Be strong and courageous. I think these words could be written for fathers today. Do not be afraid of them, these people around you. The Lord your God will go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor forsake you. So what's fear? It's just a few observations about fear before we talk about what we can do with it. Fear is vision without optimism. Fear is vision without optimism. Some of you are visionaries in the room. You can project the future. You can see down the road. You can anticipate where things are going to go, and you know, you're not always right. You don't have a crystal ball, but you, can, you have a sense of where things are going to go. A fear is that vision without the accompanying optimism that often goes along with it. You see things down the road, but it's always dark. It's always bleak. It's a challenge. Maybe that's legitimate in the moment where you are. Maybe it's not, but fear is all the momentum and energy of a visionary, compelling idea, but without the optimism that's there, and so it weighs on us. The other thing about fear that's interesting to me is that it seems very reasonable to people who are experiencing fear, even when it's completely irrational. You ever talk to somebody who's afraid? Like, I, you know, like my kids when they were younger, just as an example. They come into the room, they're afraid. Dad, I can't sleep. What's wrong? Don't know. I think there's something in my room. So I go into the room, we turn on the light, we look under the bed, there's nothing there. Look in the closet, there's nothing there. Behind the curtain, nothing there. It's completely irrational, the fear, but yet it's there. Now that's a little kid example. But it happens with adults too, doesn't it? Sometimes, no matter what's really going on around us, we can be gripped by fear. A little observation I've made in, in years of counseling high school students and now as a pastor, adults, even though I don't do a lot of counseling, just in talking, is a lot of times fears about getting, fears about not getting what we want to get. 
So I talk with a young lady, and she says, I don't think I'll ever get married. I want to, don't think it's ever going to happen. Talk to a couple, and they say, don't know if, I'm ever gonna ha- don't know if we're ever going to have kids. Don't know if it's ever going to be possible. We've tried. There's some challenges. Don't know if we're ever going to have kids. Talk to a guy, and he says, I want the promotion. It's available. I've applied, but I don't know if I'm going to get it. And it goes from just an uncertainty to an overwhelming, foreboding anxiety. Sometimes fear isn't only not, uh, the fear of not getting what we want, but sometimes the fear comes from we have something and we're afraid we're going to lose it. So I finally got pregnant, but I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. And rather than enjoying the pregnancy, there's this fear that comes because of a miscarriage, especially if there's been a few in the, in the background already. I finally got married, but now I'm afraid I'm going to get, get a divorce, afraid it's not going to last. We've had an argument, don't know where it's going to go. I finally got the house, but I'm not sure now that I can make the mortgage payment. So sometimes fear is about not getting what we want. Sometimes it's fear about losing what we have. And sometimes it's about getting what we don't want. We go into the shower, ladies, and you find a lump. And you're like, ah. And you're afraid of that dreaded word, and for good reason. Maybe you're afraid nobody wants to marry you. Fear can come at us from every angle of life. And yet our ability to manage fear, understand it, and move beyond it is essential to our success in life as dads, as followers of Jesus, just as people. In our fears, we discover our values, what we love, our longings. Get somebody talking about the fears, and you're going to discover quickly what's important to them. In my fears, I've discovered this about me, just a little confession. I'm what the Old Testament would call a false prophet. In the Old Testament, when a prophet would talk about the future, if it didn't come to pass, they'd stone him. Please, don't stone me. I'm just confessing. New Testament, we don't do that anymore, but... Sometimes I've thought things were going to happen. I'm a bit of that visionary who can sometimes have that vision without the optimism. I can always see what's going to happen on the other side. And so sometimes I'm a little bit of a a false prophet when it comes to my life and the things I'm facing. I wonder if there's any other kind of false prophets in the room. And fear gets in there. And rather than giving you an appropriate level of concern, it begins to really slow you down. And weigh you down. Rob you of joy in the moment consistently. Now, I'm not talking moments. I'm talking consistent moments over time. Unable to enjoy the very things around you. Sometimes that's completely legitimate. But most of the time, those lingering fears for the follower of Jesus become not just things we understand and kind of wink and nod at. When it's happened to somebody else, we can see it for them clearly and what they need to do. For us, it becomes sometimes what the Bible would just call a sin. It's a sin in this sense. It's a sin in the sense that God wants something for us, a life with Him, a life that brings a certain amount of peace and comfort. I'm not talking about being comfortable in every situation and you never have a challenge. I'm talking about a comfort that comes that even in the middle of our challenge, we hold on to His most recurring words to human beings when He spoke, which was, Fear not. The kind of comfort that comes when you know, all right, things may be bad, but he's with me. I'm going to be okay. It becomes a faith issue. A real faith issue. 
an opportunity for our, gra- our faith to grow and develop, or an opportunity for our, our faith to lay fallow, undeveloped, and ungrowing. I talked a little bit about fear for just a minute. Let me talk with you for a few minutes about why I think we fear on a theological level. I'm not talking about legitimate fear. It's a dark night. You're in a strange area. Your car's broken down. That, there's a certain legitimacy there, right? Not the, the fear a parent feels maybe when uh, the kid just gets the driver's license and they're out on the road for themselves for the first time. That, that, there's a certain legitimacy there. Or the fear that a young man should have when he dates my daughter. It's totally legitimate. Totally legitimate fear, all right? Let's talk about why we fear, though, from a theological perspective. I think sometimes we fear because we don't believe God's really in control. We don't believe that God's really in control. There's a theological concept that in some Christian traditions gets more airtime than others. It's the concept of sovereignty. It's God who is sovereign. He's in control. He's running the show, not us. And sometimes our desire to control things, even good things, or control to avoid bad things, reveals in us a certain undeveloped faith, the need to control the universe. I've said many times from this stage and all the different buildings we've been in, there are two basic rules of the universe. There's a God, and you're not Him. That's kind of like the beginning of understanding sovereignty. There's a God, and it's not you. It's not me. And so in this fear dynamic, what God's calling us to do, the place he wants to take our faith to, is that we stop fearing what we don't know and start trusting the one who knows it all. This is what sovereignty and our embracing of the sovereignty, the all-knowing, all-powerful, future-seeing God can do for us doesn't alleviate the challenges around us, doesn't make us turn a blind eye to them. It allows us to have a different anchor to hold on to, a sovereign God. And in holding on to the sovereign God, we can stop fearing all the stuff we don't know that may happen. And in our not knowing those things, we can grab hold of him and the fact that he's in control. And not only will he never leave us nor forsake us, but that he has a plan and a purpose he's trying to work in our lives. And that even if we really wanted to control it, we don't have the capability of controlling all things. And so both the fear itself of the unknown and the reality that we cannot control can drive us to a place of safe harbor under the sovereignty of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, all-good Lord, I think sometimes followers of Jesus struggle with fear too much. Dads struggle with fear too much, not because there aren't legitimate challenges around us that need attention and things that have legitimate stress-producing activities around them, you know, that, that impact our lives potentially negative. Of course, all that's going on but because we don't really gravitate towards the God that is in control. I think we also sometimes fear because we create our own vision of the future rather than asking God what he would like the future to be. Most of the time, when we have fear about the future, 
I think what is really going on is we envision a future without God. Let me unpack this for you for just a second. You get bad news from the doctor, and you start thinking about all the places it could go. And it could, I suppose. I mean, you've known people that's happened to. A lot of times our fears aren't completely unfounded. But when I talk with people about that who are stuck in those situations, when I'm honest about myself, about what fear does to me when it paralyzes me, I'm usually anticipating some future. And as I'm, as I'm envisioning the future, as I'm thinking about the future, I'm not contemplating God's activity in the future. I'm not thinking about where God's going to show up. I'm not thinking about how he could move. I'm not thinking about how he could show up and change things, how he still draws people and softens people's hearts, how he can use all things for good for me. I'm very clear about where it could go, but I'm somewhat fuzzy about where God could show up in the middle of it. This is what happens in young couples when they have that first fight that doesn't go away. You know the one I'm talking about, don't you? They're fighting. It seems like it's over, but then it crops up a few days later. And then a few days later again, and then maybe it goes underground for a month or two. But for a few months now, it's the same issue, and it's never really getting resolved. And somebody starts thinking, oh my goodness, we're headed to a bad place. And they can anticipate what that's going to feel like. But rarely are they contemplating, what's God going to do in the middle of this ugly thing? Where could God show up? Where might God do his God stuff? Where might he bring wisdom? Where might he show power? Where might he change things or change me? I think sometimes when it comes to fear, what's really going on is we can see the bad, but we're not anticipating, we're not projecting the God, the character of the God that we already are in a relationship with. We're not bringing that into our current situation or into our projections about the future. And fear grows in an environment where God isn't present. It's true currently, and it's true in our projections about our future. The one that we want to avoid, the one that's causing anxiety or worry or fear. Where we don't project God in the future, fear tends to grow. This is why every dad, I think, in the room, you got you to gotta think about your kid's future, not just in terms of what your hopes and aspirations are for them economically or in their vocation or relationally. It's thinking about what you hope happens with them and their relationship with God as well. I don't know all that is going to happen in my kids' lives. I have hopes and dreams for them, and if they're smart, they'll follow my plans for their life. I'm joking a little bit, Right? But I do know this, when I think about their future, their future seems much more bright to me. Much more like a future that it's the kind of thing that I think they would choose for themselves <laughs> when I start thinking about how God can be a part of their future. That doesn't answer all my questions. But it brings me a certain comfort and satisfaction and positivity because I know the character of God. I've lived with him long enough to know it. He can be trusted. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. He's a promise-keeping God. He does have a plan in the future. And when things are dark on this earth, he has an incredible way about, about him that brings light to situations. 
I know this about the character of God. And when I think about my kid's future and what I as a dad can and can't do and what I can provide and can't provide, now I can protect them or not protect them. When I think about all those things and I bring God into the situation, it begins to change how I see their future. And I've noticed just for me that fear tends to come down as I intentionally project, think about, contemplate, reflect on the character of God being involved in the future of the people I care about. I think that sometimes we really don't believe that God's in control and we create a vision of our future in our heads rather than seeking God's vision of the future. Number three, I think sometimes we prove to ourselves and our fears that we're too focused on this world. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious, don't be fearful, don't be overly worried about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And which of you, by being anxious or fearful or overcome with worry, can add a single hour to his or her span of life? All the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things, these necessities of life, are going to be added to you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Matthew's telling the same story. He uses slightly different words. He says, Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things, all these things we're talking about, the necessities of life, they're going to be given to you. I think if we're honest followers of Jesus, sometimes our fears, if we'll let it, here's what they'll teach us. We focus way too much on this world. I'm not suggesting that we don't focus on the world at all. I'm suggesting that sometimes we're too preoccupied with this world and not enough with the next. That we take a lot, a lot of interest in the in the 70, 80, 90, or in my case, 120 years that I plan on living. And I forget that beyond me, there's an eternity of 70,000, 7 million, 70 million years. And it's okay. It's understandable. You do it. I do it. It's totally human. It's hard for us to project into eternity. But as people of faith, we're called upon to embrace a God who is already in that place of eternity who has chosen to come into our time and space and create a relationship with us. Not a relationship that simply secures our eternity, but a relationship that begins to break eternity into the now. It's interesting for me to be talking about fear today. Just one year ago, before I walked on the stage, I found out that my mom had just passed away that morning. It was Father's Day last year. Hardest message I've ever given. But I was a bit in shock. I didn't know. I hadn't processed. I was somewhat unprepared for it. Just a few days before, I sat beside her on her bed, and we talked. And I saw in her an incredible faith. It wasn't that she was unaware of her surroundings. She was very aware. So she looks at me in the eyes, and she says, I'm not afraid to die okay. She said, I'd like to know exactly how it's going to take place, like what's going to happen the moment I quit breathing, what's next, you know, from the time I 
path to I'm with Jesus. What happens in between? And, you know, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about that stuff other than to say that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So she had some questions, but there was this unshakable faith in her. Now, why is that? Because she was drugged up? Because she lived a fantasy? Because she was so tired of all the stuff going on in her life, she was just ready to go? No. Somehow, followers of Jesus, and in this case my mom, are are able to grab hold of future realities, the eternity in which God is present and fully alive, and they're able to bring that right into the present where they really are. And it makes a real difference. Not in the circumstances, but in how we live them. And how we experience them, how we manage them and talk about them and think through them. I think sometimes we prove in the middle of our challenges that we're too focused on this world. And sometimes we're exactly the moment you have fear. I think what God would like us to do, what he would like you to do, what he'd like me to do, is to open the door a little bit for him and his character and the values that are going to last forever to begin to speak into our present situation. It's what makes people make incredibly, what looks like to me, crazy decisions to follow God. Go to the jungle. Become a missionary. Talk to their friends about Jesus. Get over that fear. Invite a person to church. Risk rejection. Share their testimony. It makes a dad keep investing in his son or in his daughter. Not just the kinds of things that speak to this life, but to the kinds of things that speak to what's really going to last forever. Their faith, their relationship with God, their soul. It makes a dad feed not only the body, but feed the soul of their children. Because they begin to bring the future and the God of the future into the present. I think we fear sometimes because we don't believe God's really in control. We create our own vision of the future rather than asking God, what would you like the future to be? And we focus ourselves too much on this world. And finally, I think sometimes we're drawn to false gospels. Do you know this word gospel? It means good news. In Greek, it's kerygma. It's a shorthand way of saying it's the story of Jesus. And the specific story of Jesus, that he came as a gift from God, gave his life on a cross, truly died, was resurrected, and now can live with every human being who accepts them as their Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. It's what followers of Jesus put their faith and trust in. But I think sometimes when we fear, what we're really showing is that we betray ourselves and our trust and comfort in things other than in Jesus. And so for some of us, sometimes we turn the teachings of Jesus into a therapy session session, and we turn Jesus into a therapist rather than being the Lord of our lives and we put our trust in him and his care. It's our ability to grab hold of his teachings and make them alive in our lives. So his stuff about relationships, I grab hold of that and bring it into my life. And that's my connection to Jesus. And his stuff about money, I grab hold of that and bring it into my life. And that's my connection to Jesus because it works for me. You know, makes me happy, it satisfies me, helps me deal with stuff. But what the gospel does is it calls us to come and bring all of who we are, our imperfect, broken selves, and then submit to his full leadership. Anything else is a false gospel. 
When Jesus is our therapist and not our Savior, we put our trust in the wrong thing, not in his teachings. That's not what he called us to do, but in him himself, in the role he's to play in our lives. And of course, his teachings are connected to that. Because when we do that, we want to take his words seriously. We follow them. That's why around here we value God's words so much. The problem is, is that when we embrace a false gospel, it gives us a false hell and a false heaven and a false savior. And all this language about bringing the eternal God into our present then is beyond us. And we're only as good as our ability to grab hold of it or live it or live up to it. But the gospel offers us something else. In the middle of our challenges, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our fear, there is a God who's speaking loudly saying, I'm with you. I'm not just helping you. I'm not just going to provide you some insight. I'm not going to just tweak your life. I'm literally going to go through this with you. I'm going to lead you and guide you. And oh, by the way, I know exactly what I'm doing. You can trust me. We have a Savior that saves us from hell, the very hell that we, through our own fears, have created in our imaginations. And that's why he comes to us and he says, don't be afraid. It's the phrase I give my kids regularly. Hey, it's okay. Dad'll be with you. A couple years ago, my son wanted to ride the roller coaster at King's Island. Um, he had just gotten tall enough, and he was so eager, and he didn't want his brothers to see that he was afraid. So I'm standing there, and I can sense this tension. He's, he wants to. So I just said, "Hey, I'll, I'll go with you." And instantly, you could see the, the stress. And he wanted to more than I wanted him to. And he was going to, I think, but he may not have survived. I mean, his little heart was racing, his face was white. But when I said to him, hey, Dad, Dad's going to be with you, it was easier. Sometimes my boys are in new environments, and you can tell they, they, they want to do it. And just a simple word, hey, I, I'll, I'll go with you. It's okay. I'll do this with you. This is exactly what your Heavenly Father says to you. This is why Father's Day is so special, because it gives us a chance to talk about the, co- the characteristics of our Heavenly Father that we as earthly fathers want to embody, to, ma- to make ourselves godly dads, to embrace the kind of love that our Heavenly Father shows, the kind of care and compassion our Heavenly Father shows, the kind of focus on the real priorities that our Heavenly Father shows, the kind of selfless sacrifice that our Heavenly Father has shown. And as dads, we get to be in that special place of investing that into our kids, but not just always giving out. We get to be in that special place that the Heavenly Father, who allowed us to be that child's dad, is pouring into us even as we pour into them. He looks at you, dads, and he says, don't be afraid. I'll be with you. You can afford to be bold in your faith in your family because I'll be with you. And I think that when you embrace the God that's fully with you, it begins to alleviate the stress. It doesn't always go away. Fear doesn't completely dissipate. But there's something powerful about knowing and embracing the God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why don't you do this? Why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. Next step A for us every week is a chance to begin a relationship with the very God I'm talking about, that Heavenly Father who gave His Son Jesus as a covering for our sin 
to secure our relationship with him. So next step A says this, I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior and Lord for the first time. If you'd like to do that, check the box, and when the offering bucket comes by, at the end of the service, you'll put that card in there. We'll communicate with you via email. You're not joining our church. You're not committing to give a bunch of money. You're just saying, I want a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Or how about next step B? I want to get baptized. If you'd like to get baptized and go public with your faith in Jesus, speaking about fear, I know a lot of people are afraid about this. So if you are, why don't you check the box and let us have a conversation about it and talk about what it really means and how freeing it can be. And then if you want to, after talking about it, we'll sign you up for a date and make it good for you when it's convenient. And we'll celebrate with you the God that's already present in your life. Or how about next step C? This verse speaks to me. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Here's what it says. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid of them. Whoever the them is in your life, don't be afraid. The Lord your God will go ahead of you. And he will neither, neither fail you nor forsake you. I find that when I memorize verses like this, it helps me. They, they get like planted in my in my mind, in my soul. And they help guide me where I'm supposed to go. How about next step D? There's a chance for you to be honest. You want to move forward in courage in an area of your life. So as I talked about fear, maybe some fear came up. You don't have to be very specific, but by checking this box, maybe just writing a word there, you're going to let me know how to help pray for you, me and the staff and our prayer team, how to pray for you this week. So some area where fear has had too much of a grip and you want to bring the God who is always there more obviously alongside you. You want to embrace the fact that he's there in a way that's more clear than you have. If so, check that. And let's pray about it in a minute. And the next step E for all the dads in the room, you heard about it earlier. Here's what it says. I'm a dad. A new grill would be sweet. Check the box. That's true for all the men in the room. Just check it up. And, uh, and we'll be glad to give you one of those. All right, let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who is present that truly you will never leave us or forsake us. God, right now, for just a moment, we want to deal honestly with the fact that we are sometimes fearful people. And while it's understandable and human and sometimes even healthy, far too often we cross over to a very unhealthy place and we're stuck, we're immobilized, we're gripped, we're robbed of joy. We don't see our blessings. Thankfulness disappears in our life because we're afraid. God, today, right now in this moment, we want to acknowledge that you're the God who said you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you'd be with us. Lord, I pray for people who are making the decision to embrace you as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. They're declaring, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Wash away my sin. Lead my life. God, I pray for people in this room who've identified an area of life where they want to move forward, that this week they'd have a stronger, more clear picture that you're with them, guiding and directing. And that picture of you beside of them will help them take steps towards the very thing they're fearing. God, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.